please turn, if you would, beginning to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll go verses 16 and 17. This is going to be kind of a basic topic that I'm going to uh, talk about today. Mr. Wesson has asked us to um, speak about basic things from time to time. I'm going to talk about the matter of forgiveness, but also in the context of offenses. We're going to look at some details about both of them and see how they relate to each other. It's a subject that can be salvational, but not always obviously so in our daily lives. There's sometimes unnoticed doctrinal and conversion issues that Satan uses to take us down spiritually. So we'll look at offenses and forgiveness in that context. Hebrews chapter 10 And here Paul is quoting from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 34. And we're going to go to the text in Jeremiah after a little bit. Paul goes in verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Eternal, the Lord. I will put all my laws in their hearts, in their minds, in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds... Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hmm. This question. If God doesn't remember your sins and you do, do you know more than God? I've been asked that question before. Sometimes people, particularly if they're new in the church, wonder about that. He says he will remember the sins no more. So what if you do? What if you do remember them? I mean, some pretty bad things maybe happened in your past, in your sins, and you still remember them. Do you know things that God doesn't know? Let me tell you a story um, about, and this was a long time ago that I, I heard this. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but that was an evangelical minister, and he was talking about forgiveness. And he said, you know, when you forgive someone, you must absolutely not only forgive them, you must forget about the sin and completely lose it and put it out of your mind if you want to be forgiven by God. And then uh, preening himself a little bit, his righteousness, he said, you know, if a pedophile came and abused one of my children, I would have to forgive him. I have to forgive that person and forget about it completely, and I would even allow him access to my children again because I had forgotten about it. What? 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 He said that. And he was trying to present himself as very righteous. But do you have to completely forget a sin against you in order for God to forgive your sins? What if you still remember the hurt? What if you still feel the hurt? You have to forget it and lose it completely. Turn to Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Forgiving other people can be a salvational issue, according to your Bible. Salvational issue by meaning something that could affect your salvation, maybe take it from you, steal your crown. Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against Anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Sounds serious. 
Does Satan content you into holding a grudge, or letting a root of bitterness grow in your life? He just might take your crown from you. And maybe that's a way that he can sneak up on many people. So must you forgive and forget. When someone sins terribly against you, are you required to lose all memory of that event? Literally um, have an attack of amnesia for that event. You know, back when we approached Passover, a little while back, we examined ourselves to put out the leaven of sin in our lives. And that examination should have included any offenses that we harbor. Sin profanes us, and God's people are a holy people, a holy people. We do not want to be profaned by our sins. We cannot be if we're going to be in God's kingdom. Do you understand forgiveness as well as you would like to? Do you understand the nature of offenses as well as you should? Well, today we'll go over some basic things about offenses and then forgiveness that we need to have maybe to be well-grounded in and also in application of these two principles in some of our relationships. I realize this is a big subject. Lots and lots of sermons could be preached on this, but we're going to just look at it from the standpoint of just a couple of things and perhaps go into some depth about those things and hopefully understanding a few things about offenses on one hand and forgiveness on the other will improve our relationships and then strengthen us spiritually against the wiles of the adversary. The title of today's sermon is some details about offenses and forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is familiar uh, scripture. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We understand that the real Lord's Prayer is in uh, John 17. But this is the model prayer that Jesus gave us. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that be nice if God's will were done as, on earth as it is in heaven? Boy, I look forward to that day. Verse 12, um, let's see, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The word debt in the Greek here is philema, which it refers literally to something that is owed. I owe you $100. It's a debt. But it can refer figuratively to a moral fault or an offense as well. If someone has offended you, there is a debt there. Here's the essence of an offense. Let's talk about offenses for just a moment. When someone has offended you, you feel like they owe you something. There's a debt of some kind there. Either, in one case, to make you feel better about the offense, or on the other hand, to suffer for having done it. That's called vengeance. You know, getting some revenge on somebody. That's the way it works. That's the way offenses operate. They've got an obligation to you, and it can be, take two forms. One, to lift you up and give you something and restore you, make you feel better, whatever it was, and restore what they took or, or made you feel bad, the harm that they did, or to suffer for having done it. 
Consider what this carnal mind thinks uh, when someone's harmed or offends someone else. Here's just a few quotes. You, you know this one. Don't get mad, get even. Yeah. Okay, you know that one. A lot of heads nodding on that one. Here's one. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. Hmm. That was kind of a mean one. Here's another one. Taking revenge sounds so mean. That's why I prefer to call it returning the favor. <laughs> yeah, people of that way, they want to get back one way or the other. Think about that, that expression, get even. Get even. That's, you've been offended. Someone's harmed you in one way or another, emotionally, physically, financially, and, and they need to restore it. You're, you're down here and they need to lift you back up the way you were. Or they need to, they're up here and they need to suffer for having done it. You want to get even. That's, that's the nature of an offense. You kind of want to get even. That's what it means when we, when we say that. Mark 1, 17 and 18. Mark 1, 17 and 18. <clears throat> this is when Jesus was calling his disciples. They had been fishing. They were cleaning, repairing their nets. And Jesus said to them, <clears throat> Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Now describe this. I think they forsook their nets. They had been there working on their nets. So they picked up their nets, and they hauled them and walked down the road. Uh, no, they didn't do that. They didn't carry their nets with them. It says they forsook them. They left them behind. They laid aside their nets and followed Christ. The word forsook in uh, Mark 1, uh, 18, that we read there, is translated forgive in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our debts, same word. Forgive our debts, forsook their nets. Same thing. Same word is used. It means to lay aside, to put away, to leave behind. So you're laying aside and putting away and leaving behind an offense. That's the nature of an offense. Okay. Here's going to be a working definition of forgiveness that we'll use today. And I know the commentaries will say different things about this, and we could say many things about this subject. But for the purpose of what we're talking about today, this is going to be our working definition of forgiveness. <clears throat> I first heard of this um, years, years ago, and I've added to it and tweaked it over the years. I've had this for a long time. Forgiveness is an act of will in which we give up the right to hold another person accountable for a wrong that they have done to us. Repeat that. Forgiveness is an act of will in which we give up the right to hold another person accountable for a wrong they have done to us. Continuing. It releases that person in our own mind and heart from their obligation to remedy our hurt, either by payment of some benefit to us or by suffering themselves. 
It also frees the person who is hurt from the need to be remedied. That's the way we'll think about forgiveness in this context today. Summarize the first point. There's a lot we can say about forgiveness, but for the points we're making today, when we forgive, we are completely laying aside and putting away our right to remedy an offense. Second point, turn to Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. What happens when we don't forgive and we don't put away a perceived offense? What happens then? Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Without holiness. If you are profaned by your sins and die that way in your grave, or whether you're standing there when Christ comes, still profaned by your sins, you cannot be changed and translated and made uh, immortal and be in the holy mountain of God. Nothing unholy, nothing profaned can be in that holy mountain. So follow peace and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail from the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Here's the word, defiled, root of bitterness, holiness, peace, backtracking through those two verses. If you nurse a grudge or an offense, and sometimes, oh boy, it's nice to nurse a grudge, isn't it? You can really get some satisfaction doing that. If you do, it settles down in you and can defile you, pollute you, a root of bitterness. We can't be in the kingdom of God if we're hauling around unsettled accounts. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. When offense arises to the level that it has to be dealt with by the church, it's an important thing that we do. And we do this personally as well, even when it doesn't involve the the church. And I just want to touch briefly on Matthew 18 here. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. And that is important. How many times has it been over the years that I've seen a situation where I went and told someone a problem, and they said, wow, I'm, I'm so sorry. I hadn't realized what I had done. And I, I realized that was an offense. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, yeah, okay. Glad to. What happens when they don't do it? And I've seen that happen, too. They leave it alone, and then it festers, and it forms a problem with that person's relationship. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, take, um, take him, um, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like heathen and a tax collector. Now, that's verses 15 through 17, but it's interesting to read the verses that just preceded it, verses 12 through 14. Look back up the page at verse 12, and let's read those two verses for the context of what I just read. 
What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I tell you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The context is repentance. That's repentance. He's talking about a sheep that's gone astray, and then he comes and says, um, he talks about if your brother sins against you. The idea there is to get the sinner to repent. And this procedure is designed to benefit the sinner. And, but the matter of forgiveness and re, um, reconciliation benefits both parties. Both parties benefit here. Let me just read John. 1 John 1 and verse 9, 1 John 1 and verse 9, and we have ongoing forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. It is ongoing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, that's good. And we should pray for repentance that God will, and then for God will forgive us, and we should do this regularly, even daily before God, and forgive others while we do it, and pray for that ability to do it. If you believe you've been forgiven, then you can act on it, and should. Are you forgiven of your sins? Then you should believe that. Now, I want to add remorse, which is godly sorrow, is good because it prevents us from going back and repeating our mistakes. We do remember what we did, and we may still be remorseful for it, and that can be important. It keeps us from repeating our mistakes. And also, I'll tell you this, that remembering past mistakes and things that we've been forgiven for, that really helps us to forgive other people, doesn't it? Sometime when you're having trouble forgiving someone or someone has hurt you, go back and remember some of the good stuff you did, some of the bad things, I should say. Remember the times when you sinned and God forgave you or you sinned against someone else and they forgave you. It helps a lot. Like, say you're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off, blows his horn and does make some unfortunate gesture at you. Boy, that makes you mad, doesn't it? That he has a wreck and has a flat tire and his transmission falls out. You just you get really angry about that. You you know, but then go back and think about the time you got some. Remember that time you pulled out in front of that guy and blew his horn. He barely missed you. Oh, boy, poor guy. Yeah, you've done it yourself, haven't you? Remembering those things helps us to forgive others, a great tool for forgiveness. We shouldn't take vengeance on ourselves for past mistakes. That can be penance. You know what penance is? Penance is self-punishment done to try to right a wrong, or an act of self-abasement or mortification to show sorrow or repentance from sin. Penance is not the way we are forgiven of our sins. The Orthodox people... Some have penance doctrines. And we remember very clearly how we are forgiven of our sins at Passover. Summarize point number two. God doesn't want offenses to remain unsettled in us or in the church. They pollute the individual and the church spiritually. And they've often been the cause of people leaving. 
We reconcile with one another, brethren. Next is the matter of vengeance, taking vengeance. This is going to be a brief point. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, 35. It's interesting how people say that, as we heard in the first split sermon, people think somehow the law is done away with, and why did Paul quote it so much when he quoted it so many times? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's not your job. It's not your job to do that. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Do not avenge yourselves. This is God's job. We don't go out to get even. We don't go out to settle those accounts. That's not what we do. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Having regard, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is uh, possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, he says, depends on you. A lot of times, other people that don't want to live peaceably with you, but as, as it is possible to do it for you, your end of it, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. As for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 13.10 Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. I'll just read it here. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you love your neighbor, you can't go out and take revenge on them. You can't love someone while you're trying to get even. That's not love, is it? So to summarize point number four, forgiveness is not only an act of will, it is an act of love. It expresses love. God is love. And are we like him when it comes to forgiveness? We need to be. We must be. Point number four, let's talk a little bit about forgiveness in marriage. Forgiveness in marriage. I uh, went over some of these points in a singles and young uh, marriage Bible study a little while back. I thought I would might do it here today also. People sometimes ask, how did you first know that you loved your wife? Mm-hmm. Forty years ago, coming up here. Uh, well, um, I, somebody asked me that. And I had to think about it for a while. At first, we were friends, friends, and then we were best friends. One of these long-distance church relationships. I know you, some of you guys wouldn't know anything about that, would you? That's what it was. And then we were very attracted. I was very attracted to her. And I was thinking, wow, what kind of wife will she be? What kind of wife will Marshall Leslie be? And then the question changed. I started asking a different question. Started asking, what kind of a husband will I be for her? And then it occurred to me I loved her. That's when I knew I loved her. Love is giving. 
Love is given. We know in the New Testament the three words for um, philios, eros, and agape. Those three words, we don't have to go over them here, but agape expresses itself with giving and in doing good. It, strong feelings are involved with it, of course, but it is expressed by, usually in the Bible, by action. For God so loved the world, that's agape, that he got the warm fuzzies? No. That he did something. He gave his only begotten son. And this is the love of God that we what, keep his commandments, something that we do. Well, in marriage, getting even, or anywhere else for that matter, is not giving, it's taking. In marriage, forgiving is important, a very important feature of it. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that's what we've been hearing about in the in the, the way forgiving works. If we're going to be forgiven, we must forgive others. Offenses will occur. A thoughtless word, having a bad day, and taking it out on your spouse maybe, a bad habit, something just lingers on, selfish act. This is an interesting one. It's acting out your parents. You know, you know, we learn to relate to our spouses largely by the way our parents related to each other. And quite often, if you will find yourself doing something, if you're a guy, what your father did in marriage, or if you're a girl, what your mom did, sometimes it's really a good thing, and we learn from that. But if it's not good, recognize that. That's something you'll need to deal with. Beware of retaliation. That's taking revenge. It may make you feel better, but it does not involve forgiveness. It's corrosive. It's corrosive to relationships. And marriage relationships, those in the ministry, the council, a good bit in these things that we've done, that we've seen these tit-for-tats going back. They are corrosive to relationships. They wear them down. Forgiveness in marriage usually means giving up your perceived right to retaliate. It means your spouse no longer owes you for what they did. Apologies should be sincere. You ever heard of what is a, a politician's apology? If anyone was offended by what was said, then it is regrettable. It's always given in the passive voice like that. Well, if you apologize, do a real apology. Take responsibility and do a true apology. And sometimes that's hard to do. We all need to work on it. Don't justify yourself when you do it. You may take an explanation, but don't do a justification apology. That just leads to more discussion. When someone apologizes to you, your spouse or someone else, then let it go. You can talk things out. That's important. Talking it out. It just gets it all out and works it all out. But don't get lost in the weeds and don't forget uh, that the details of the matter, however important, are not as important as your goal of getting over it in this relationship. You've got to get past it. That's what you want, to lay it aside. If you're the offended party, don't keep hammering until you're satisfied and feel better. You know, sometimes you just keep on going and going and going. Why are you talking about this? I don't feel well about it. I still don't feel good about it. You need to suffer some more. I don't know. But don't keep hammering on it. That's a form of revenge. It's not forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Get past things quickly. Don't let them stay and fester. It gets down into being a root of bitterness. 
Be angry and do not sin. Yes, you can be angry. There are things that happen that makes us angry in dealing with people in the world, dealing with our spouses. Things happen. But do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Go ahead and get past it. Get over these things quickly. These are just a few ways that you can apply a good understanding of offenses and forgiveness to your marriage relationships now and in the future. Just a few suggestions there. Point number five, I asked some questions in the beginning. Turn back to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31 and verses 31 through 34. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So I ask the questions, do we know things that God doesn't because he has forgotten them? Well, remember no more means that God will not bring it to mind. That's the meaning of that. He will not give the penalty for the sin. He doesn't get partial amnesia for it. This, I will remember no more, or I will remember. We see that in the scriptures. He said, God remembered his covenant, his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It doesn't mean he had forgotten it. It just means he brought it to mind. It's time to fulfill something. Well, he says, I will not remember their sins. They had sins. He will not bring them to mind and bring the penalty for it. We do not know things that God doesn't. So, Jeremiah 31, verses 30, 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Let's look at these verses again, because sometimes people just kind of get this wrong. They do not look at the context of the verses. We should notice that these verses refer to Israel when they were under the covenant uh, that God will make with them when, uh, in the future, when they are in that covenant in the future. He will not hold them accountable for what they did before. He has forgiven them. See verses 31 and 32. We'll read that in just a moment. And they are the verses just prior to verse 33 that Paul quoted about not remembering their sins. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, are coming in the future, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So he is in the past. He's talking, still talking about the divided kingdoms here. He's, they will um, uh, uh, that should cause people who don't understand America and Britain in prophecy to remember that the divided kingdoms are even talking, talking about in the future, talking in, in prophecy. Verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, said the Eternal. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. This also describes in type the covenant and the conversion of God's church. Verse 34. 
No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Eternal, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Eternal. Because, for, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's the context of it. In the kingdom of God, when Israel is brought back, he's not going to remember their past sins. He is going to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham long ago, an unconditional promise that he made to bring Israel back. In those days, he will give this new covenant with them, and he will forgive their sins. God won't bring it to mind or require a penalty because they are forgiven. And we should be able to do the same with our offenses. So I ask, when someone sins terribly against you, are you required to lose all memory of that sin in order for God to forgive you? Well, obviously, no, you do not. I should add that um, there are occasions (laughs) where it may be good to just simply forget about it. What do you say? Let's forget about it. Let's forget about the whole thing. Okay. That's good. You can do that. There are occasions when we do that, and that's wise and good to do. On balance, we should remember that. And what about the evangelical minister and the awful pedophile example that he used? Well, he didn't understand forgiveness very well, did he? I don't think he understood it at all. We can release ourselves and someone else through forgiveness, but that doesn't mean we're unaware of what they did or what they might do in the future, especially if the person hasn't fully repented or still has a serious crime. In the case of the actual crime he mentioned, the minister would have been required by law to report it. North Carolina, I think, and a lot of other jurisdictions as well. And the case brought against the man would not read minister against this person, it would read the state of North Carolina against the person. It's the state that prosecutes crimes, not the person who reports it. It's okay to report a crime and to let the law take its course. That's fine to do. It's also okay to exercise your legal rights. It doesn't mean that you don't, if it's not done in a vengeful way. At headquarters, the Department of Legal and Risk really do everything we can to respect others' legal rights, with copyrights and all the other things that we do. Those of you who work at headquarters, yeah, you do. You really do that. We are very careful about respecting the legal rights of other people, but we do exercise the church's legal rights when it's appropriate, but not for revenge, not for revenge. Offenses and injuries may involve pain, and that pain may last for years. Some of you may have uh, suffered offenses and injuries that you're still dealing with and suffering today after many years. Some of you have caused offenses and injuries that caused someone else to suffer as well. It could be an automobile accident. It could have been a betrayal. Just a thoughtless word sometimes can be Difficult to get over. But forgiveness is an act of will, even though the pain may remain. And that's something that you choose to do. It's something that you do from the heart. The person may still be thoughtless. They may still be careless. Hopefully, they repent and they're better. You can remember their weaknesses. 
It's okay to protect yourself. But if you forgive, you don't require them to repay you, either with benefit to you or with suffering by them. And you release yourself as well when you do that. It's possible to protect yourself realistically without getting even. Can you be shaken by a lack of forgiveness? You can be. You can be. Sometimes God will allow us to be tested by that. He says, I will shake the nation. Well, he shakes us sometimes, too. He puts us through difficult trials and things and wants to see if we can be shaken, if our faith can be shaken, if our commitment to forgiveness can be shaken. He may allow us a trial in that regard. Remember that the Apostle Paul said, look diligently, lest any man fail by the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. The root of bitterness will creep up in you unawares. Sometimes it does. Beware if you're harboring unforgiven offenses. Get rid of them. Put them away. Lay them aside. Put them behind you, just like the apostles did with their nets. As God's begotten children, let's always forgive because we are greatly forgiven by God.